0: joining us at Area 51 and a half where we talk about all things science fiction, fantasy, horror, and pop culture. I am your host, John Allen, with my co host
1: Nick Snyder. Today we're talking about our experience in history with pop culture and what got us interested in it.
0: John, do you want to take that away? Take it away. Where will I take it, Nick? Oh
1: you can take it uptown for all I care. Go <laughs> ahead.
0: <laughs> well I think the thing that we have to understand is we have to sort of look at the history of pop culture to begin with. Where did it really start?
1: Now, that's a that's a big history
0: it is a big history but for our purposes we're just going to look at it starting somewhere around the 1950s that's the pop culture that we're really familiar with Um, that's when things started being marketed and merchandised to basically the baby boomers
1: yeah basically like if you look at with my experience with pop culture comes from movies video games and toys Uh, i'm a big toy guy and i know i know my history of toys Going back to the 1950s, that's when you started seeing all the the big model kits for the Universal Monsters. Um, Those were definitely marketed towards
0: younger baby boomers at the time. Yeah, particularly when you talk about the Universal Monsters, particularly one monster stands out in the 1950s, and that's the creature from the Black Lagoon. Absolutely. The creature actually has more merchandise than any of the other Universal Monsters. And
1: that's surprising to me, because when you think about the Universal Monsters, the first one that pops into my mind is Dracula. Or Frankenstein. Or Frankenstein. Even the mummy. But the Creature of the Black Lagoon, and I think that, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the Creature of the Black Lagoon
0: was actually a, a creation of Universal, wasn't it? Essentially? Uh, yeah, basically. It's not really based on any particular folklore. Um, and it, it was marketed specifically for that time period because that's the time period when science fiction was really kind of coming into its its own and its, its adolescence, yeah. if you will. And they did a lot of interesting and marketing things. I have never actually seen The Creature from the Black Lagoon the way it's supposed to be seen, which is in 3D, because that was the gimmick that they were using at that time. Um, and I didn't know that. Yeah, and 3D was actually used uh, because they were trying to combat the popularity of television because television was fairly new back then. And why would people go to see a movie when they can just sit home and watch television? Right. That, so,
1: that makes a ton of sense.
0: So they came up with these gimmicks, um, including 3D. The problem was that with 3D in that particular time period, it wasn't very sophisticated. Um, I can't get into all the technicalities of how it was used, but it basically uh, refracted through two different lenses, and you would look at your 3D goggles, and you would actually see one or the other, which way it was going. The problem with that is that it relied on the projectionist being very vigilant and very careful about how it worked. Mm -hmm and so the problem is that a lot of the projectionists just didn't give it and that's yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Got you, got and you, got so they you. so you could actually get kind of motion sickness from trying to watch these if you had a projectionist who didn't care so nick we've been talking about uh, mostly the creature from the black lagoon at this point and that's where we feel that pop culture in its modern day um iteration really sort of began for us mm-hmm. uh but You and I are are not of that generation. We're not baby boomers. You're a millennial. I'm a a Gen Xer. Um, So, what was it that got you interested in pop culture? What was the first thing that you can remember seeing and really, really adoring, really liking, and you wanted everything with it?
1: That is a real easy, real easy answer Ninja Turtles. Ninja Turtles was. Huge. It was massive when I was a small child, um, especially with the cartoon coming up in 1987. It was accessible to all children at the time. Um, when I was a kid in Scotland, it was actually known as Teenage Hero Turtles, which, you know, when I came to Canada, I was like, oh well, why is it called Ninja Turtles? I don't get it, but it took me a little time to learn what the actual franchise name was. Still, it was massive, and I'm talking all the merchandising toys t-shirts video games they had cereal they had snacks they had drinks so you could not move around the 19 the late 1980s early 1990s without bumping into some teenage ninja turtle merchandise that's just how it was and you know one, one of the, the the things about the turtles was you had you had to have all four turtles and they created that first wave, and they had the first, they had the Four Turtles in there. You had Raphael, Michelangelo, Donatello, Leonardo, and everybody wanted to have all Four Turtles. Not, not everybody yeah. I know did,
0: but that was something that everybody wanted. Yeah, I remember when the comic book first came out, uh, that's what I, what I knew. Um, and we didn't know if it was going to be a success or not. It was just this, this bizarre little comic that uh, we kind of read and thought was interesting. And then it just seemed to blossom from there.
1: And the the interesting thing is how it went from that really dark, violent comic into a, just such a pop culture phenomenon that was geared towards kids. Because that original comic was not geared towards kids. It was done up to be a, um, kind of a takeoff of Frank Miller's Daredevil, and it was very dark and kind of depressing at the end. So seeing it, seeing how it was taken, and I I know the story of how it came to be, how how it became this huge phenomenon, um, but just seeing it grow from one thing to another is—it's amazing how pop
0: culture kind of molds its own entities, you know? Yeah, it was a little different for me being um, uh, Gen X because um, I still had the residual stuff from the '60s, you know, Mm -hmm. when I was really small. There was, uh, in fact. my mother has a picture of my brother and I when we were really small, and they got us these Campbell soup cans that you could actually ride on, you know, when you were a little child. Like, they were made for, like, ages, I don't know, um, two to six, maybe. Um, so even just things like um, everyday grocery items have become pop culture, and I think that that speaks to probably Andy Warhol uh, and his artwork doing that sort of thing and turning... Uh, Campbell's soup can into art Mm -hmm. but as I grew up it really wasn't until Star Wars hit star I'm the original Star Wars generation so it's it's kind of um, odd to me that it blossomed the way it did in a way because that that was probably the first time that I can think of I'm not saying it's the first time it ever happened But it's the first time that I can think of where they really started marketing toys and games and comics and everything based on Star Wars, which was just a huge cultural phenomenon in the um, late 70s, early 80s. Yeah, absolutely. And it's
1: one of those things that, that continued to be that phenomenon as well. Star Wars, the marketability of Star Wars continued on into the early 90s with toys, even when there wasn't, it was actually really interesting because there was no movie to go along with the toys that they were initially releasing in the early 90s. They, they just, they re-released, no, oh, not re-released, they made whole new molds for all the Star Wars chari- Star Wars characters. Luke, Leia, Han, Darth Vader, R2-D2, C-3-P, all these guys are part of the f- first wave. All new molds, nothing to go along with it, but
0: they sold like hell. Yeah, famous. and it's a huge market now for all that vintage stuff. Okay, Nick. Now you mentioned the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. What other fandoms? What other pop culture things do you like that speaks to you? Well, obviously, there's
1: Transformers. Anyone who knows me knows I love Transformers. Ghostbusters, of course. Star Wars, Star Trek, wrestling, comic books, uh, Power Rangers. Um, growing up in the '90s, you could not be a kid and not love Power Rangers.
0: Right. Now, as I've looked around, I've noticed that there's certain things that you have collected. Mm-hmm. Um, I see Doctor Who, I see the Transformers, I see wrestling, I see uh, superheroes. I don't see a whole lot of Star Trek. Now, you mentioned Star Trek, so what is it about Star Trek that you're not really collecting the things for? Like, Is it more of a nostalgia thing for you? Is, is it, What is it about Star Trek that you like? Because... That's a bit of a surprise to me. The thing with Star Trek
1: is, one, it is very personal for me. I watch it for comfort. I absolutely love it, love the characters. But another thing, a lot of the merchandise that is available doesn't really interest me. I have a few ship models, but that's about it. Really, that's what it comes down to. The merchandise just doesn't doesn't get it for me.
0: Yeah. Now, when you mention Star Trek, are you talking about the next generation? Are you talking about the original show? What What... Iteration of Star Trek? Are you really talking about here?
1: Well, and again, being a '90s kid, I grew up with the next generation. I grew up with uh, with Deep Space Nine and Voyager. Like those are the that's the Star Trek I watch. That's the Star Trek I love. I don't have any hate for the original series. It's just not really my jam. The original animated series not really my jam. But even the new stuff that's coming out, I love the new stuff. Uh, especially Discovery, obviously, because that's the new live action one. I love Lord Dex. Like this is this is great. TV, especially for Star Trek. So John, what are the pop culture franchises, the series that you grew up with that influenced you and
0: what did you really enjoy? What did you take away from it? That's a really difficult question for me to answer because growing up as a child, I was growing up on a lot of 60s reruns Um, because the stuff that was on TV in the 70s was usually, like I, I had Saturday morning cartoons. That's something that I don't think your generation really had. No, we, really we had. did. We did.
1: We did have sorry. No, but parents. not to
0: the same extent. Yeah, Yes, I understand you had them, but it wasn't to the same extent that, that we had them. I mean, it was like, it ran from early in the morning till like one o'clock. There wasn't any live action things. Like one of the ones that I remember being on in the 90s was Popular Mechanics for Kids. There was nothing like that. It yeah. was just like straight on cartoons or it was Sid and Marty Croft. You know, with um, uh, like uh, Sigmoid the Sea Monster and H.R. Puff and stuff. And and that's still leftover from the 60s. So when I was a child, I was seeing a lot of leftover 1960s programming. Um, so for me, things really started kicking off when Star Wars came out. That's right. the first thing that I remember as a child, because I was about eight years old, that I just went to the movies with my folks and I was just wowed by it. And I wanted every toy I could possibly get for Christmas and birthdays to play with, to re, uh, restage all of the great battles and all of the great lightsaber duels and just this heroic uh, idea that I had. You know, like, uh, we, I had a princess, I had a knight, I had all these things that were, were just fantastic uh, for me to, to watch and to play with. And then because of Star Wars, other fantasy films started coming out as well. Um, you had Clash of the Titans, which was the I think the last Ray Harryhausen uh, special effects movie that he had done, and there was a whole toy line for that. And there was a toy. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, well, yeah. You get Pegasus, and you could get Fairy Boatman uh, across the river Styx. Um, you know, the, the, and they had uh, tie-ins with cereal too, because you used to get prizes in the cereal. So. Oh wow. You know, like you could get little cards that would pop out, and there'd be Andromeda, and mm-hmm. all, you know, all of the characters from there. So. Uh, you know growing up it was just kind of a mishmash so when i get a question like this i have to really think back more or less what are the things that came out as i was growing up right you know so i am a big horror guy mm-hmm. and i like horror from the early days um you know the universal monsters vincent price the hammer horror films right up until uh, well, even now, I mean, you just watched Malignant, which was yeah. not a bad movie, I have yeah. to say. Yeah. Like, that was um, pretty compelling, and I, I liked what they were trying to do. Is it the best movie we saw? No. Not necessarily. It was still fun. But it was, it was still a enjoyable. great movie. So I really grew up in an era where Stephen King was writing his first novel, mm-hmm. where John Carpenter was making his first film, right. where Elvira was broadcasting for the very first time these are kind of the things that when i think back about my love of horror it gets back to these days of saturday afternoons when a uh, superhost from WUAB in cleveland was on the air and he was showing godzilla movies he was showing hammer movies and this was just on as dad was not paying attention to me and i was secretly devouring these things but being scared at night <laughs> and my mother couldn't figure out why I was scared because I was watching these horror movies that my dad liked that she didn't know I was watching and she was out shopping with my aunt and my grandmother so it's it's kind of funny that And there were comics about that, too. There was, like, the old Monster Hunters comic from, Mm. I think it was, I think it was EC Comics that put that out. I'm not 100% sure on that. I've got to look that up, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, and I would read these stories secretly, you know, and I'd have these comics, and I'd read it, and there was... One where, uh, you know, the, this family was being attacked by this pack of wolves, and they were melting down whatever they could to shoot the wolves, and the husband's getting all scared about, you know, we're running out of ammo. I need ammo. I need ammo. I got to get that big wolf that's just hanging out there yeah. in the background. And finally he shoots it, and it, it turns out it's a werewolf. And it, this man, and he turns to his wife, and he's like, what, what did you give me? She said, well, I had to melt down the silver. So it was just by chance that she happened to melt down a silver bullet for him that got the werewolf, and that was really exciting stuff to read mm-hmm. and be scared by. I don't know why I liked to be scared, but I did.
1: And you know, there's that's another thing with me, I also love horror and I also love to be scared, and I think that's just a thrill for
0: some of us. Yeah, it is thrilling to be scared sometimes. I remember though, because again, all this stuff came out when I was a child. Jaws came out when I was about six years old. And we were go- we've gone to visit my aunt, Dorothy, and um, they were living in Downey, which is a suburb of Los Angeles. And we went to Disneyland, and we went to um, to Hollywood, and we went to the, the big planetarium that they have there. And it was really great. I couldn't appreciate all the iconic stuff that I was seeing at that time, like the Hollywood sign. But do you think they could get me to Universal Studios? Oh, hell No. I was not going to go where Jaws lived. I I don't blame you for that. I was so scared of that that my cousins' uh, grandparents on their father's side actually took me to a pool party instead because there was no way I was going to go anywhere near where Jaws
1: was. And as somebody who is ridiculously afraid of sharks, I
0: can't say that I blame you. But the funny thing is, is that gave me a fear of sharks for the longest time. I was in my bachelor apartment that my grandmother owned before I actually saw Jaws. I was in my late 20s before I actually watched it. And I had been working on overcoming my fear of sharks. And of course, once I watched it, I loved it. Oh, yes. Yeah,
1: it's, it's an absolute classic. It is one of the best films of all time. I love it. I have a love-hate relationship with the overall series. but Jaws, The first Jaws movie is just brilliant.
0: But see, that's what I'm talking about, though. All that great stuff that I grew up with, all like Steven Spielberg making E.T., Steven Spielberg making The Goonies, all this great 70s, 80s movie magic that kind of started dwindling, in my opinion, in the 90s, was just a, a great time to be alive and to, to watch all this pop culture unfold. Oh, 100%. Like, I grew up on a,
1: watching a lot of these movies on VHS when I was a kid. I loved games. I loved Gremlins. I mean, these movies were absolutely spectacular to watch. And when
0: you were a kid watching this stuff, man, it felt real. Yeah. It felt so real. Yeah, and it's interesting for me because um, just as there was a war after VHS between beta and VHS, Mm -hmm. and then there was a war between Blu-ray and... HD DVD. yeah. And now I'm seeing sort of a war now between 4K and streaming. Yeah. You know, and I think streaming is clearly going to win. Yeah, yeah, typically, yeah, I think that's going to win. But um, my, everybody has access to it, so. Yeah, but my point is, there's really nothing quite like the VHS. You know, there's nothing quite like a vinyl record. Even though, yes, you can make the argument that CDs are better, that um, streaming is better, the quality is better. There's just something really great about the covers of a vinyl album, the artwork that goes on to a VHS about having to actually pull the, the tape out and then rewind it to watch it again. Okay.
1: Yeah, I, I, I understand that. And I get that. Now, one thing I think that we will need to talk about in the future, though, is is how people are now collecting VHSs, which, yeah. which is a phenomenon I don't get, but, man, it's something I would like to analyze a little bit. But going on a little bit further, can, can you name another franchise that you really love, really enjoyed growing up?
0: Um, most of my stuff really gets into macabre stuff. Like, I really loved grabbing, uh, Charles Adams cartoons from the library. You know, watching the Adams family. Um, the Munsters. I loved them. I loved Bewitched. Um, in terms of collecting, though, I will tell you that for me, there is no better superhero than when I was a little boy. I loved Superman. Superman. I love Batman. You're the Dark Knight, I'm the Big Blue Boy Scout. What yeah, can you that makes sense with both of our personalities.
1: <laughs> but yeah, like, and there, there's going back to comic books for me. Man, I love Marvel. Marvel overall is my favorite comic book company, but my favorite comic book character is Batman. I love Batman so much.
0: But you know, it's interesting too because we, we talk about the way that things are marketed. Now, we look at the Christopher Reeves movie, and the way that it was marketed is that you will believe a man can fly. Mm-hmm. Because, again, special effects were were reinvented by uh, industrial light and magic. magic, yeah. you know, um, that George Lucas had done. And George Lucas loves technology. You can tell that. I mean, in his first movie was THX. Yeah. So it's been a really interesting ride from uh, adolescence to now being in my early 50s and seeing just all this pop culture just explode and just come out. And and I'm lost right now, actually, because there's a whole new generation with whole new bits of pop culture that I don't even know about. Oh, and, you know, I can
1: attest to that as well. Like, I have a 13-year-old daughter, and some of the stuff she brings up... Uh, man, I am lost as well. There's some stuff I don't... I, I have no problem sitting down and watching with her. Owl House, Amphibia, things like that. That stuff that we can enjoy together. But there's some things that she mentions, and I just... It goes right over my head, just as I'm sure some of the stuff that I mentioned when I was a kid went over my parents' head.
0: Yeah, and you know, it's really funny, too, because you you mentioned um, Owl House and a few other things, but one of the things that kind of exploded that came out of its, its niche market is anime. You know, because when I talk to younger people and say, oh, I love anime too. And they're like, oh, what are you watching? And they're naming all these things that I have no idea what they're talking about because I'm going back to Vampire Hunter D. I'm going back to Battle of the Planets. I'm going back to Spirited Away and, yeah. and older anime things. And they're talking about new things that I don't know what they're talking about because they're series now.
1: Well, I mean, like if you look look at some of the anime that I grew up on, specifically Dragon Ball Z, Dragon Ball Z has been on the air forever. But there's so many different series out there that I just—it's almost magical to me the amount of different anime series that are out there. The the obscure ones, the the the, the well-known ones. Like if you look at um, one that I enjoyed uh, in the, the early 2010s was a show called Claymore, which is you know fairly obscure. But then you got ones like Death Note, you've got Attack on Titan, Doctor Stone. These animes have. Am I saying that right? Is it anime or anime? What's the plural? Is it
0: just anime? Anyway, just anime? Just anime. For our purposes, just anime. Don't anybody write in.
1: Please, don't add us. Alright, so these anime shows have hit a precipice where they've hit legit pop culture, where people who don't watch anime actually know of them, or at least have heard of them. Which is which is huge, because that never used to be the case of anime. Back in the 90s, if you, knew, if you didn't watch anime and you knew of an anime... It was probably Dragon Ball Z or, you know, Pokemon.
0: Yeah, and you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because as we're talking about, I've often said this, the difference between uh, celebrity and fame is that if my mother knows who it is, you're famous. So my mother knows who Pikachu is. Yeah. She doesn't necessarily know it comes from Pokemon, but she knows that it's who Pikachu is. And that came out, again, I was in my mid-twenties. I had a girlfriend. I was... I was having different kinds of fun. I was not paying attention. <laughs> I was not paying attention to Pokemon by any stretch of the imagination. Well, I was a living, and that was the only kind of fun I was allowed to have. So <laughs> oh, It's interesting how everything changes when you have a girl in your life, isn't it? Indeed it is. Indeed so, it is. So, yeah, I mean, here we are talking about things, and some things have fallen by the wayside, too, and they've tried to bring them back. Um, some people will remember benji the little dog you know. <laughs> uh, I, loved, yeah. I loved benji there was a stuffed benji toy and then they tried to bring benji back but it's like you know what that's not benji if so, it's not joe camp it's not benji
1: and you know that's an interesting thing about the pop culture franchises that we love is sometimes they go away and they come back sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't I mean, obviously, one of, the, one of the things that has worked is, of course, going back to Star Trek. Transformers has come back in a big way. But then you look at stuff like Terminator, and even to, I'm going to say to a lesser effect, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, because they've been popular on TV for God knows how long. But when they do the movies, eh, not, not as much. So it's, it's kind of interesting to see what big pop culture franchises come back and either succeed or fail.
0: Yeah, and you know, it's really interesting uh, that you mentioned that about things coming back because we've seen now with one of my favorite horror franchises, Halloween, that it's now coming back with a different sort of timeline. And there's, I think, three different timelines now with it? Yeah,
1: yeah, about that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it started off with the original. So the original Halloween is a masterpiece, and it was so successful as an independent movie that it demanded to have a sequel. So, of course, they bring back Michael Myers, they bring back Laurie Stroes, they bring back Dr. Loomis, and it's set in the hospital. It was such a logical follow-up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, wonderful things. But, at the end of it, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, and if you haven't, well, I don't know what to tell you, because if decades later, they kill off Loomis and they kill off Michael Myers. Yeah, Because the original concept, as most horror fans know, was that... Halloween was supposed to be a series of movies that said Halloween dot whatever else it was going to be. Mm -hmm. Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Yeah. Which, you know, a lot of people for years reviled, but now they're coming around and they're saying, no, this was a really great movie on its own. So, of course, Halloween fans at the time hated it.
1: Oh yeah, I know. One of the big problems uh, people had is that, well, Michael Myers isn't in it.
0: Exactly. And of course, Mustafa Akkad wants to make money. Of course. He's a producer. Exactly. He's not really interested so much in the artistic end of it or the story end of it. He loves the guy, so Mm. they bring him back. That gets us into the Thorn Trilogy. And then... Uh, After Donald Pleasance passes away, John Carpenter and Jamie Lee Curtis get together and they decide that they're going to do Halloween H20, Mm -hmm. which is going to take its jumping off point from after Halloween 2. Yeah, essentially, yeah. Yeah, so that wipes out Jamie Lloyd altogether. And then Jamie Lee Curtis decides that, okay, if you want to continue on with the Halloween movies, you're going to do it without me. Mm -hmm. So they kill her off in The Halloween Resurrections. (laughs) But now, we're left without uh, Michael Myers. We're left without right. Halloween. And then Rob Zombie comes along and says, hey, I want to do Halloween. I want to redo it. John Carpenter holds out his hand and a check falls in it. That's a direct quote from him. Of course it is. So, uh, Rob Zombie does his vision of Halloween, which you either love or you hate. And I'm not going to get into why or no why in not. No I know. He does Halloween 2. It's a beautiful movie to look at, not such a great story. Yeah. And it looks like Halloween's done. Mm
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Along comes 2018 and a new Halloween trilogy is out there for us to devour. Yeah. And it was a great film. I really enjoyed it. Oh, it was fantastic. Yeah. Pandemic comes along and here we are just waiting now for Halloween Kills to be released. And I have to tell you, Nick. I have done my damnedest not to see any trailers and I don't
1: blame you for that because the trailer gives away a lot which is a problem we've talked about with trailers but again that's another conversation for future
0: yeah so so here again is an example of things that have been reworked and re, reconjoled and moved here and moved there and I, I'm kind of living for it in a way except now again these timelines sort of become a bit confusing yeah but let's get back to Rob Zombie for just a minute. Oh, absolutely. Let's talking, talk about Rob Zombie. Talking about things that were once in the popular culture that they've tried to uh, resurrect, that mm-hmm. they've tried to revisit. Yep. And now we have Rob Zombie directing The, the Monsters. And, you know, I love The Monsters. I, I love do, The right? Monsters so much. And I know that there's a lot of people who are concerned because there's all these different camps that people put themselves in. Mm -hmm. Nothing beats the original. It's got to be Yvonne DiCarlo. It's got to be Fred Gwynn. It's got to be Al Lewis. It's got to be Pat Priest or or Butch Patrick. And it's like, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily be that. As an actor, I have done things myself Mm -hmm. uh, that other actors have done. I've done the stage version of Harvey, you know, and... Famously done by Jimmy Stewart. I'm not Jimmy Stewart, and that doesn't mean that our production was was bad. So when people get concerned about Rob Zombie doing this, what I think they forget is that he is a super Monsters fan. Yeah. And he is going to want to do that right. And, you know, that's, that's an interesting topic there
1: is, just to go back a little bit, is how fans react to things when they are brought back. Uh, one very recent example is a new He-Man cartoon. Now, I personally loved it, but there were a lot of people didn't like it because it didn't focus around He-Man. And thats kind of the interesting thing is you have filmmakers and showrunners who take these different franchises and put their own spin on it. Like no one would have expected Kevin Smith to take
0: Masters of the Universe and have it revolve around Teela. Yeah, that's a really kind of an interesting take on it. I haven't seen all of it, but... You should see all of it. It is good. It's, it's interesting. It's interesting. And it's different, and I think that that's what artists want to do. They want to put their own spin on They want to make you something interesting and different. But they do want to please the fans. Nobody sets out to make a piece of crap. Absolutely nobody does. It happens, but they don't intend to. Well, Nick, I have to say that uh, as we've been talking here, we've talked a lot about different fandoms. We've talked a lot about different pop cultures. We've talked about a lot of icons, and that might be a little confusing to our new listeners. This was really just an introduction as to who we are and to what we love. As the podcast goes on, we will get more in-depth into specific topics, and we're hoping that you will tune in and join us as we do. If you're a big fan of pop culture, horror, science fiction, all the things that we've mentioned, we hope that you'll tune in to us at Area 51 and a Half. In the meantime, Nick, how can they get a hold of us? Well, they can head over to our
1: Twitter. They can reach us at Area 51 and one half. That is Area, the number 51, and the number one
0: half. Add us, please. And please make sure that you check out the theharlatanempire.com where you will see movie reviews and articles by yours truly. For now, this is Nick Snyder and John Allen signing off from Area 51 and a Half. That
1: was a pretty good show. Yeah, for the first
0: time. Yeah, so for the first time. It wasn't too bad. Better. I liked that. It's yeah, so I, well, really I mean, like it. it'll, it'll, be better. it'll get better as we go along. Yep. 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 yep.